Psalm 23. Okay. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Grab a seat. Good morning, friends. Welcome home again. If you might be wondering, Pastor, what's with the glasses? Listen, when I'm tired, I put them on, and that's just my world right now with small kids. Um, Special welcome to anyone joining us online uh, that that can't be with us in person, whether it's today or later this week as you're watching. Um, Special welcome to you. If you don't know me, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and just thrilled to be sharing today as we continue on in our series entitled Introductions. Introductions, where we're taking a closer look at Jesus in his own words. And so today we'll be talking through yet another introduction that might be familiar to some, one that again requires some digging, though, to fully grasp its significance. And that is from John 10, that Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd. So here's the text. From John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. But, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and my sheep, they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must be, they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Verse 17, for the Father love, loves me because I sacrifice my life, so I might take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. John 10, verse 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. This is the introduction from John 10. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this identity statement from Jesus as the Good Shepherd, it carries with it multiple layers of meaning. Meaning that isn't so much confusing as it is complicated. The past couple weeks, there's been a lot of maybe confusing imagery as we've looked at the Son of Man and the light of the world. But this one isn't as confusing as it is complicated, especially for those hearing it in the first century, where today I think we might naturally interpret a shepherd or the shepherd imagery through the lens of Scripture through Jesus making this statement, that a shepherd is this noble and respectable person, much like we would associate with farmers today, or maybe ranchers, like hard work, integrity, fortitude, Kevin Costner in Yellowstone, this is what I think most of us picture 
shepherds to be today, wearing a cool jean jacket and boots and a cowboy hat, just like on the open range, one with the land. I would say that's probably a popular preconception for shepherds, almost romanticized, but in the first century, you can clear that. In the first century, again, it was a lot more complicated. Because at face value, in the first century, no one wanted to be a shepherd. Why? Because it was dirty, it was hard, it was dangerous, and it was thankless work. No one was trying to get that role. Just like most folks today aren't just lining up to be trash collectors or, you know, work in a sanitation department. It's a cool photo, but that's not what most kids dream about when they're little, right? You can clear that. Still, these positions, um, in the same way, are, is, is what we see with the shepherds in the first century, which meant that most of the people filling these roles were typically, isn't what's true about them, but it, they would be assumed to be desperate and uncultured. In the first century, they would have assumed that shepherds were poor and maybe even criminals. Shepherds were the outcasts of the first century, but here's where it gets interesting. Because for those listening in John 10, which was a mixture of Jesus' disciples and other religious leaders who weren't big fans of Jesus at this point, for those present, while this first assumption about shepherds was still true in their minds, at the same time, deep within their cultural framework, deep within their cultural narrative, one of their greatest heroes actually emerged as a shepherd. Anyone know who that is? David. David. Jesus, yes, he will. But, D- but David, son of Jesse, David the giant slayer, who Scripture describes as a man after God's heart, A shepherd boy who would go on to be the most respected and revered king in the history of Israel. This David, he started as a shepherd. As a shepherd. So again, it's complicated for those listening. But that's the scene for John 10 when Jesus makes this introduction. I am the good shepherd. So in this introduction, what is Jesus getting at? What is he getting at? What does this mean? What is he implying when he makes this Introduction. Well, if you're taking notes, more than anything, what was said and what was heard in John 10 in this introduction is connected to two primary things, and those two things are leadership and lordship. Leadership and lordship, but all connected back into Psalm 23, our opening scripture, and we'll get there. Leadership and lordship. Let's take a look, starting with leadership and what Jesus was implying here. So, from, I would say, 10,000 feet above our understanding, the overarching and assumed role for a shepherd in the first century was that of a leader. Holistic, sacrificial leadership from the shepherd towards the flock. This is what shepherds were and what shepherds did. They led sheep. And as they did, there were no layers of bureaucracy in the field. There were no interns to do the dirty work, which was literally shoveling sheep poop. There were no time clocks. There were no vacation days. There were no HR departments to complain to. Shepherds sacrificially led. They sacrificially led their flocks day and night. This was their role, their responsibility, and their authority. And we actually see this in one of the most famous scriptures from Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, when it says this. It says, now they were in the same country, shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. The shepherds live with the sheep. 
They sacrifice their own lives for the betterment of the flock as they watch over them at all hours. This is what shepherds do. And I need you to remember this reality when we start to create these connections back to when Jesus made this introduction. A shepherd sacrificially leads his flock in all things. Now, how does this leadership play out? Well, we see the leadership of the shepherd breaking down into four central actions, and I'm sure there are more, but for the sake of time today, let's just start with these four, and if you're taking notes, write them down. First, a shepherd leads his flock by knowing, by protecting, by guiding, and providing. A shepherd leads by knowing, protecting, guiding, and providing. Let's start with knowing quickly. A shepherd knows their sheep. Where a hired hand, Jesus says in John 10, is only working for the money, doesn't really care about the flock, a good shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know him. A good shepherd knows what sheep are his, where his sheep are, what they need, and what they don't. How does he know this? Because he's out in the field with them, day in and day out. And because he's there with them, he's always ready to, the second thing in leadership, protect them. John 10 says, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so a wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. But a good shepherd is always ready to protect. If you know the scripture, think back to the shepherd king David in the Old Testament. Scripture says that he would, he would always carry a staff and a sling to fend off anything that might come to take his sheep. Why? Because a shepherd protects a shepherd protects. The third thing is a shepherd guides the sheep. A good shepherd leads his sheep to green pastures. He leads them to better lands and guides the flock into safety, the safety of a sheepfold for them to rest. So a shepherd knows his sheep. A shepherd protects them. He guides them, and finally he provides for them. He gives the sheep what they need to grow and be healthy, even to the point of personal sacrifice. This is what a shepherd does, what was understood to be true in the first century. And, and what Jesus in John 10 decides to introduce himself as a good shepherd. He's a leader who knows and will be known by his sheep. A leader who will protect and to guide and to provide for those under his care. A leader who doesn't take vacation or abuse his power. A leader who, does not, who, who sees no work beneath him and is always willing to sacrifice. This is the good shepherd, which I think, as a 21st century American, sounds absolutely amazing. Especially considering the questionable leadership we see flexed today around us. Through this introdu introduction, we see a humble leader. A humble leader who cares and will sacrifice himself for his people. That sounds incredible, doesn't it? Just imagine in some of the presidential debates that are going to be coming up, if we heard one of the, the candidates say, I, I just want to serve you and sacrifice my life for you. That would be pretty nice, right? As 21st century Americans with 2,000 years of progress, that sounds absolutely amazing. But what's interesting is for Israel, at least for half of those hearing this in the first century, specifically the religious leaders in this passage, these folks weren't nearly as impressed as we would be. Why? Because they knew that there was a second layer to this introduction. They knew that there was a second layer to this metaphor Jesus was using. And this is so interesting. 
a layer that, yes, spoke to their everyday understanding of shepherds as a leader, but also so much more as Jesus tethers himself to something bigger. And that's the second part. Check this out. Because when Jesus said that I am the good shepherd, yeah, he was speaking to leadership because he was a rabbi. He had a flock of disciples that he led and he cared for. But in this introduction, he was also talking about that second thing, and that's lordship. The lordship over a people. The statement from Jesus was not only connected to the shepherd king, David, but also to what he, David, wrote about God in Psalm 23. And this is so interesting. Check it out. I'm going to read this one more time from Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you're close to me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, verse 6, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And friends, this is the second connection Jesus is trying to make when he says, I am the good shepherd. Because in it, he's also saying that he is the Lord. Because the Lord is my shepherd. Now, what does Lord mean? And why would this have bothered some of the religious leaders listening in John 10? Good question, Pastor David. Let's figure it out together. So listen, the word Lord carries with it a number of different meanings, again. But in the scriptures, anytime you see the word Lord written in all caps, all caps, it's referring to one thing, and that is the personal name of Israel's God, Yahweh. And we see that first in Exodus chapter 3. It'll be on the screen. When God makes his introduction to Moses, he says this. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So God calls himself I am. He calls himself Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Abraham. This is his name. And every single Jew would have known this. The Lord, in all caps, is God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the great I am, the one who created them, the one who called them, the one who saved them, and led them to their promised land. This is the Lord, all caps, the same one we see referenced in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. This is the Lord, but it's also the same one we see Jesus connecting himself to through this introduction. How can we know that? Because he told us. Let me show you. Follow me back to John 8. Shortly after he introduced himself as the light of the world, this was last week. Shortly after, there are this, all these folks hanging out in the temple after he ruffled the feathers. And, and he's asking him, they ask him, so, so who do you think you really are? Who do you think you are calling yourself the glory of God on earth? And Jesus replies with this. So brilliant. He says, he says if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my Father who will glorify me. 
You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you, but I do, not, but I do know him and obey him. This is so good. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57. As you can imagine, the, the, these people are just like, you aren't even 50 years old, Jesus. How can you have said that you have seen Abraham? And this is it. Verse 58. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, the grammar police in the room might be thinking, what? that doesn't make any sense. But what he's doing here is he's connecting himself back to Exodus chapter 3 in a play on words. One more time, you'll see it. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Then John 8, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. And I hope you're catching this because Jesus is essentially saying to the world, he's saying, y'all, even before your faith existed, even before Abraham was born, even before the world was made, I was because I am. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord, all caps. I am the shepherd your King David was talking about. That's me. That's me, and I've come to know you and be known by you. I've come to protect you and to guide you and provide for you. I am that good shepherd you celebrated in Psalm 23. And y'all, as you can imagine, as you can imagine, the powerful religious establishment of the day, listening in John 8 and John 10, they, they skeptical at best, but really wanted nothing to do with it. Even as they saw his power and his miracles, even with all the fulfilled prophecies that came along with Jesus, they did not want Jesus to be the shepherd from Psalm 23 because they were expecting a different kind of Lord. They were expecting a Lord to come and lead them and save them, one that would, that would do it with military might and, and make them powerful again. So they were uninterested in Jesus. Which is why we see Jesus continue this in John 10, starting in verse 25, as the religious kept questioning him, questioning him and trying to discredit him. He says this. He says, Jesus replied, I, I've already told you, and you don't believe me. They were asking, who are you? Who are you? I've already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. You don't believe me because you're not my sheep. I wonder if anyone here has ever had a hard time believing God for things. I wonder if anyone here has ever had a hard time trusting God for things. Let this verse hit you. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's and verse 30, the Father and I are one. Could you imagine that hitting these religious folks? The Father and I are one. In here, Jesus is he's addressing skeptics and is like, y'all, I, I know this might be hard for you to process, but I've already told you who I am. I am who I am. I am who I am, but you don't believe me, and you don't believe me ultimately because you aren't my sheep. 
You're not my sheep. You don't, you don't know me because you haven't given yourself to me. You haven't given yourself over to my protection and my guidance and my provision. Instead, you're waiting around for a king who is not coming. You're waiting around for a Messiah, a lesser Messiah to come and fulfill your expectations for life. All the while, you're completely ignoring the God, the God who has always been the good shepherd of his sheep. His sheep. The good shepherd of his sheep. Let's pause there for a minute and talk, let's talk about sheep. Because where, again, shepherd, this metaphor of shepherd would have made sense to those listening with leadership and lordship. What would, in the first century, what would people have assumed to be true about sheep? I would say the most obvious assumption that they would have had about sheep is that sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Why do they need a shepherd? Or why can't they just self-shepherd like free-range sheep? It's because sheep can be really, really dumb and incredibly prone to wander. In fact, have you seen any of those videos on YouTube of sheep who just keep getting stuck? I, I have them for you. Are you ready for this? Pull up that audio too, Riyadh, and let's get that playing just for reference. Just watch. Here we go. Ready? Hold on here. There's an even better one here. This is so good. Check this out. <laughs> and they're just kind of looking, right? Sheep are incredibly dumb and incredibly prone to wander. Now, I'm not saying with this intro introduction that Jesus is calling us dumb, okay? But I mean we can be really dumb, right? Think about all the times you've made a foolish decision only to go back and do it again. Think about all the times you got stuck in a ditch only to get pulled out and then go jump right back in. Y'all, this is us. This is in us. It's in us, friends, to need help. It's in us to need guidance and direction. As much as we might hate being called sheep because we want to be self-shepherding, the reality is we are sheep. We are sheep. Why? It's because God made us that way. God did not design you to be capable of living independent of leadership. He didn't make us with the expectation that if we just work hard enough or if we're smart enough or lucky enough, we can survive on our own. No, God made us to need him. God made you to follow him, the good shepherd. And he did it because he loves his people. He did it because he loves us and he wants his people to know him just as he wants to know them from the inside out. And, and that's, that's the first thing those listening would have heard, that sheep, they need a shepherd. They need someone to lead them and lord over them, to protect them and provide for them. That's the first thing. The second thing people would have heard in this, this, uh, this talking about sheep in John 10 is, is uh, who Jesus is saying are actually in his flock. Who are in his flock. And this statement would have been more than just a little wild for the disciples and religious leaders because he says this one more time. I am the good shepherd. Verse 14. I know my own sheep, and they know me. 
Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. So who are his sheep? It's those who know him. His sheep are those who know him. Specifically in this passage, the people who know him from within the people of Israel. And this is key. This is some deep theology for you guys today. Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 15 that he came first for the lost sheep of Israel. Why? Because God made a promise to Israel that they would always be his people. And yet they had often wandered away. The prophet Jeremiah says it like this in verse uh, 6 of chapter 50. He says, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and turned them loose in the mountains. They have lost their way and can't remember how to get back to the sheepfold. So Jesus came, friends, to call them back. To call them back, to bring them back into the sheepfold, the covenant relationship that the Father made with them. That's primary. They are the first sheep, and those listening would have understood this from Jeremiah 50. But then Jesus continues to just blow our minds by he says this about about. He says, oh, and if you didn't know, verse 16, I have other sheep too. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. And when he says this, what he's saying is that, that I have people that are not from the family of Israel, and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And this, friends, is some really good news for us today. For anyone that didn't grow up Jewish in Israel, this is some amazingly good news as it reveals God's ultimate plan to make one people from all people to call his own. Where once it was just the children of Abraham, once it was just the people of Israel, those he rescued from Egypt and led to his promised land, these were his sheep. But, but now Jesus is saying he's got more sheep He's got more, and instead of having divided families, divided houses, he says he's just going to make one big flock. One big flock to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is, this is the introduction we see in John chapter 10 and why it matters. Because Jesus is saying, he's saying that he is the good shepherd and he is the Lord coming to lead people that are so prone to wandering into a better way. Jesus came to go after the lost sheep to call the wayward home, but also to welcome the new. Praise the Lord, all caps. He did it all so we might bring honor to his name and find rest for our souls. Which is what we heard from the Good Shepherd in Matthew chapter 11, something that our men's prayer group has been ruminating on for the past couple months. This is when the Good Shepherd says this. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus, hitting home again and again and again, he's just saying, you can trust me. You can trust me. I'm the good shepherd. I'm not the hired hand that will run at any chance of danger. Because I'm the good I know my sheep, and they know me. Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life, and he does. Sacrifice my life for the sheep. And this is, this, is the, this is the introduction, but also what I found is that it's really just an invitation. Because like it or not, we all need a shepherd. 
Sheep need a shepherd. We all need someone to show us how to not fall into the ditches or, or jump off the cliffs of this life, right? We all need someone to guide us and protect us and provide for us. It's just part of the human experience. And the reality is, friends, we all follow someone. We might not like to admit it because, you know, because we don't want to be called sheep, but we're all led by someone or something, whether it's a teacher or a parent or an ideology, a politic, a passion, a profession. We're all inspired by and focus on things that lead us. And again, that's, that's not really the problem here. God made us to need leadership. Got it. The problem is when we as Christians choose to fill that need with things other than Christ. After we already chose Christ. Does that make sense? Friends, I, I need you to understand. And if you're a Christian, can you just quick raise your hand in the house today? Okay, good. I love to see that. Early adopters on the message. This is great. If you're a Christian... Listen up. You no longer have the same liberty that the world does to choose who you follow in this life. Because if you're a Christian, then you already decided to follow Jesus. Sheep need a shepherd, and you already picked the good shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd, and you already picked the best shepherd. You're with him. Now you are his flock. Amen. Praise the Lord. In all caps again. Sheep need a shepherd, and you got the best, friends. Still, if you're anything like me, I would say in classic sheep fashion, even as part of the flock, with the greatest shepherd in the universe to lead me, God on earth, even with all I have agreed to and confessed to, y'all, I still tend to wander. I still tend to walk all over the place and find myself in all sorts of dumb places and dark valleys. But it's not like I want to, right? Honestly, I think for me, the majority of my problem isn't the pursuit of bad stuff, but rather just trying to do good stuff on my own. Does that make sense? It's like I got, the, I got this shepherd that wants to lead me to the best, but I tend to self-shepherd my way into just good enough. Even with the best of intentions, I lose focus. I take my eyes off of Jesus and begin to wander. I wonder if anyone here, I wonder if anyone here has ever lost focus on Jesus and wound up in some interesting places. Yeah, we all have. What is that? Uh, what is that? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What song is that? Be Thou My Vision. Thank you from the house. We all have, we've all wandered from the God that we love. So what can we do? As sheep in his flock, how can we be less dumb and not fall off those metaphorical cliffs in our life and faith? Well, I'm going to make this real quick, uh, but I think it all comes back to us responding to the original intention of the shepherd in the first place. And so if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Jesus wants you to know, to trust, to follow and to receive. I think we got a screen with this, unless I didn't put it in there. We got it up there? Yeah? Now Keep scrolling down. It's going to be there at some point. It should be white. Yeah. Jesus wants you to know your shepherd. He wants you to follow his lead. He wants to trust his protection and receive his provision. To know, 
trust, follow, and receive. Let's start with this, starting with no. Somebody tell me, how do you get to know someone? Oh, this is so good. I don't even need to talk about this point. We just breeze right past it. You get to know someone with two things, and I heard it. Time and presence. You get to know someone with time and presence. It's choosing to be near someone and stay near long enough to connect and learn and experience things together. It's time and it's presence. I remember when Rebecca and I first started dating, it's like there weren't enough hours in the day. And you probably can relate as you've met someone. There weren't enough hours in the day. All we wanted to do was talk and be close to one another, so much so that it reached this point in with my roommates where they staged a bit of an intervention and they they were like david we know you love her but we live here too and she's always around we need a little space and i got it friends but i just could not help myself i just wanted to know her and be known by her and the only way that could happen is time and presence and y'all the same thing goes for jesus friends if if you're a christian then the expectation is that you would know Jesus, not just know about Jesus or know someone who knows something about Jesus, but actually know him and want to know him more. This is the expectation for your faith, but for that to happen, you got to spend time, and you got to get in his presence. Now, what does that look like? There's a lot of ways to get to know Jesus. There's a lot of ways to spend time with Jesus, but I would say practically, it means committing time in your life, your day, to know him in prayer, and through the scriptures. Let me break this down. And I want to say this with like a healthy sense of cautious optimism, okay? Or enthusiasm. If you don't open your Bibles, you'll never really know Jesus. You might think you do because you've heard things about Jesus or you got facts from church about Jesus, but if your connection to him will never be what it could and what he wants it to be unless you open your Bibles, just like you'll never truly know him unless you pray. Why? Because prayer is simply talking to Jesus. It's simply talking to Jesus, and that's it, friends. He wants to talk, and, and he wants to talk if you're willing to make time to listen, and we must. We must if we want to better, number two, follow his lead. Number three, follow his lead. Did you know that Jesus wants to lead you in every area of your life? To guide you, Psalm 23, along right paths, bringing honor to his name. He does. Jesus does not want you to struggle. He does not want you to wander aimlessly into the dark. He does not want you like that sheep to get pulled out and jump right back in the ditch. No, he's the light of the world. He's the son of man. He's the good shepherd. He wants to guide you into your greatest possible life of faith and obedience. A life rich with love and joy and peace. But, friends, to get there, you need to learn to hear his voice. And you need to follow his lead. What does this mean? It means not self-shepherding. It means not chasing your own hopes and dreams most, but rather bringing all you are into the flock. And laying it down before him, saying, if you lead me, Lord, I will follow. And listen, just a heads up, sometimes that lead, as you follow Jesus into the future, that lead, sometimes it'll bring you to the things you love the most. Sometimes it'll bring you to the things that, like, you thought you wanted more than anything else, no doubt, but other times it won't. But here's the deal in the promise that Jesus makes to you. He will always lead you to peace. 
He will always lead you to your best life if you let him. You just need to follow. You just need to step up and follow your good shepherd, which brings us up to the the last two, which are really two sides to the same coin, and that is trust and receive. Because Jesus wants us to trust as we follow, trust that he'll take care of us and also receive what he wants to give us. Life in the flock with Jesus is protection and it's provision as long as we trust and as long as we receive. Because when we don't trust him and receive from him, y'all, it's then that we make some of the most terrible decisions in our lives. When a sheep doesn't trust the shepherd to protect, he's going to run away. When he doesn't see and receive the provision, he'll look somewhere else for what he thinks he needs. And it's in both instances, the sheep leave the shepherd whose sole purpose is to care for the flock. Day and night, night and day, in every season, in every situation. Friends, the shepherd exists to know and protect and guide and provide for his flock, to sacrifice his life for his sheep. That's the role. That's the responsibility. And Jesus knows it. Jesus knows this, and he'll come through. He already has, and he will again, which is why we have John chapter 10. This is why he's making this introduction, but also extending an invitation, because he is the good shepherd. And he wants to welcome you into his flock. He wants to be your sacrificial leader for heaven, but also your powerful, humble Lord who has no rival for today. Leader for heaven, Lord for today. And all it takes from you is you choosing to know him. All it takes from you is you choosing to trust him and receive from him and listen to his voice and follow him. The future is forward. Everything else is covered. Every other price is paid. Jesus just wants you, and and he literally died on a Roman cross to prove it. All for love. And listen, I know that this might be elementary for some of you. I know that for many in this room, many in this room, you've already given your life to Jesus, and now you're one of the flock. I get that. No doubt, because I did that too. I'm a sheep that belongs to Jesus. But friends, as I've been trying to think about a compelling takeaway, something that will leave you thinking, wow, Pastor David, I've never heard that before. My whole life has changed. The one thing that just keeps coming back to me is this, and I just never want this reality to become regular. I never want this reality to become ordinary for you and for me. Does that make sense? And so as we close today, I'm going to have Becca. Is there anyone else coming up or just you? Okay. Becca's going to come up and we're going to be closing in just a minute. And, and before we do, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that this, that this would sink into your heart and mind today. That the good shepherd would find its place in your life as you find your place within his flock. And we're going to take a minute after service, after you're dismissed. You you have the option to either stick around and 
and uh, encounter God through prayer, through worship in the room, or you can go and experience community in the fel uh, fellowship in the lobby or in the courtyard, whatever it might be. So I'm going to pray for you, and then you'll be dismissed. But before we do, I just want you to know this one thing, and that is this. Sheep need a shepherd. You are a sheep. And you have been given the greatest shepherd. Let us follow him. Amen? I want to pray for you, and then we are going to be dismissed. But thanks for listening, and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Jesus, thank you for today. We honor you as the good shepherd. We honor you as the Lord, the one who came and died and gave his life for us so we might be welcomed into a whole new way. Jesus, we thank you for all the ways that you've engaged throughout history, the way that you came in the first century and, and brought meaning from this menial task of shepherding to help us understand who you really are and what God is like. Jesus, we truly are such sheep and we are in such desperate need of a good shepherd. And so God, we ask in this moment that you would just open our eyes to your leading, to your presence. God, give us, give us the, the heart to seek you more, to spend time and carve out time to be with the good shepherd who only wants to lead us to greater things. Jesus, we acknowledge that there's nothing that you want for us that is lesser than what we could ever achieve on our own. So we just, we submit to that today. And we say, Jesus, lead us forward. Keep our eyes fixed on you. We acknowledge your lordship. We acknowledge your leadership. We acknowledge that we can be so incredibly dumb as we wander about in this life. But God, we don't want to fall in the ditches anymore. We don't want to jump off the metaphorical cliffs of life and faith anymore, God. We want to be safe and protected within your sheepfold as the good shepherd comes to protect. And so, God, we, we lean into your provision today. We lean into your protection. We submit our own ways, our own plans, our own paths to you, and we just say, God, lead us forward. The future is forward, and we are with you now as the good shepherd. So Jesus, be near to us. Help us know you more. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us open hearts and open minds to be able to come after you. God, we're so grateful that you love us. We're so grateful for all the ways that you've led. And God, in this moment, we just say, do it again. Do it again, Jesus. So God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray and we all said, amen, amen. Well, you are dismissed to stay or, stay, or dismissed to go. Have a wonderful Sunday and we'll, we'll see you next week.